0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's chief medical officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma.
1: I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago.
3: What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? Mr. Shaka Cummings, my partner in crime, Mr. Parker Ainsworth. Welcome to F in Sports, the podcast with two teachers, great sports. Biggest issues, at least when the car starts. Miss Raysworth, <laughs> <laughs> having a little bit of car trouble. Mr. Raysworth was this weekend. How are you, sir?
1: Well, now the car's charged
3: up and going again. I'm all good. <laughs> How are you doing, Mister? <laughs> uh, my car's starting fine, so I'm all good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let's go ahead and jump into our gold stars and detentions especially this first gold star because it's kind of a shared one, and I know it's one close to your heart. Gold star to Clint Capella, former Houston Rocket, current Atlanta Hawk. Now, I love that he's on Atlanta, and I thought that Atlanta would have a little better season this year. Clint Capella did the thing. The triple-double with blocks, which is amazing. Mr. Ainsworth, did he ever do that in Houston?
1: He did not. So he had (laughs) 13 points, was it 19 rebounds, and 10 blocks. I think it was impressive he got 10 blocks with zero personal fouls. That's pretty impressive (laughs) timing. And I think it's really great, too, because people forget it's been almost a calendar year since he played. Uh, Before he left Houston, he was kind of in and out of the lineup with some real heel and foot problems. And with the big guy, that always looks bad. And so then that he's come back out, and he missed the first part of the season for Atlanta and was in and out of the lineup some with limited minutes, but now he's back playing full strength. He's clearly back to being himself. 10 blocks is a lot of blocks. This is one of the more impressive defensive performances this year,
3: right? Absolutely, and it's like he plays on pogo sticks, man, because Clint Capella gets off the ground. Now, I I told Mr. Ainsworth this off-pod. One of the reasons why I wanted to go start Clint Capella is because it allows me to go into, in my opinion, the most impressive stat line in the history of the NBA, which was a game by David Robinson years back where he got a quadruple-double, 34 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists, 10 blocks— And so, anytime someone gets a triple-double with blocks, it just brings me back to that. And, of course, it brings Mr. Ainsworth back to Akeem Olajuwon, who also, (laughs) as a Houston Rocket, did the quadruple-double thing. So, shout-out to Clint Capella, though, because this gold star is for him. Mr. Ainsworth, I think I'm just going to rapid-fire through my next two gold stars. I'm going to hit you with Asia Wilson. Gold star to her. She, currently playing for the uh, Las Vegas Aces in the WNBA, she got a statue at the University of South Carolina because of her exploits as a women's college basketball player with the Gamecocks National Champion Player of the Year. She was incredible. The reason why this is amazing to me is because I could not point to, in my mind, a time where a woman athlete was honored in that way with a statue outside the stadium where they played. And the University of South Carolina, I'm an SEC guy. University of South Carolina, they'll have some spots where they're good at basketball like once every 10 years or something like that. Like not even kidding, but they'll be like really good. Asia right. Wilson was a part of turning the University of South Carolina into a women's college basketball power. Now, obviously, Don Staley, the head coach there former olympian hall of fame basketball player in her own right obviously she's a big part of that too but asia wilson man just turned South Carolina into a dominant force in women's college basketball. She deserves the statue. So you go to her.
1: Right, you could call it a joint force in building the program, but it certainly elevates the program when Asia Wilson's continue to have success in every basketball floor she stepped on. So it, it carries with her too.
3: Absolutely. And the fact that South Carolina continues to get recruits, and now it's a program, right? Versus a one-year right. thing where you had a really good season. My final gold star is going to go to Sam and Christy Mewis. So if you are a soccer fan, Maybe you watch the women's national team. They play two friendlies versus Columbia. They won Monday they won 4 nothing. Friday, they won 6 nothing. So they beat Columbia combined 10-0. And this should just be a gold star to our women's national team, because they're incredible. But specifically, this goes to Sam and Christy Mewis, who in the game on Monday, the United States f- scored four goals. They scored all four of them. You had to be a Mewis <laughs> to score a goal. Sam got a hat trick, and then Christy came off the bench and kicked in the fourth goal, which is amazing to me. The Mewis sisters, the fact that they are so good, that they're both on the national team, tells you that that's incredible, right? That, that's something that it, it's something that deserves its own recognition, but for them to get all four goals, shout out to them. I'm sure mom and dad are incredibly proud. Uh, Mr. Hainsworth, <laughs> how about your gold stars, sir? Also, well, we
1: obviously already mentioned Clint Capella's big night. My other gold stars, I got a couple of big performances too. I'm gonna go first go to Colin Sexton, who had two big games of the week against the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, you know, obviously, there's a big tie there because it was Kyrie Irving coming back. And coming back to Cleveland. And there are a lot of folks that saw, thought that Cleveland's new jersey number two, Colin Sexton was up to the task he had 42 points in 38 minutes of a double overtime game earlier this week and then in the second game he only needed to play 29 minutes 29 and a half minutes uh, to, he had 25 points but that game wasn't even close in the second half so he only ended up playing a few, a few minutes and so shout out to him in Cleveland I think a lot of people are using this as a way to discredit what Brooklyn's doing I I look at Colin Sexton and I look at Jared Allen and I look at they didn't even have Darius Garland and I look at the young core of that Cleveland team and that's gonna be a really strong team if they can keep those Aikakoros and the younger guy there too if they can keep those younger guys together that's a really really good team in the future and they might just be blossoming before you realize it and you know if they move Drummond or something this could be in four months talking more about how good Cleveland is than how bad
3: Brooklyn is Jared Allen smiles on the dunks that he had against Brooklyn were <laughs> incredible and oh by the way go read the catalog on belly up because one of these two teachers tried to tell y'all that Colin Sexton was the young bull ready to come up <laughs> so make sure y'all check out the catalog
1: my My other gold star for a performance this week goes to Boogie Cousins last night. So I I texted Stanford KP, one of the Houston Rockets Twitter people about it, but basically if Boogie Cousins signing is just to do this to the Dallas Mavericks, then he gets a (laughs) lifetime contract (laughs) in my book. As someone living in Dallas, living in Dallas means that I get to hear about whenever those games go not my way, very much so. But last night, as we record on a Sunday, so Saturday night, DeMarcus Cousins had 28 points, 17 rebounds, and 5 assists in just under 30 minutes played against the Dallas Mavericks. That was against the Dallas Mavericks without Christian Wood, without Oladipo, with only 20 minutes, like a limited number of minutes, intentionally 20 minutes out of John Wall. And Daniel House has been MIA for nearly the whole season between his own entry and then quarantining. And so, shout out to boogie cousins for putting the rockets on his back to a big big blowout out win of story it was twenty something points with 10 the starters all came out luke dashi didn't even have to play the fourth quarter they were that far ahead shout out to boogie for being boogie it's been a while since we got
3: to see that uh and and that's always fun i believe that i speak on behalf of all big blue nation when i say you're welcome uh my <laughs> detentions. let's go ahead and run through those quick i'm gonna start with detention for anyone who's a ufc fan who blames Khabib Nurmagomedov for the situation in the lightweight division. So, Mr. Ainsworth, I'm sure that even though you're not the biggest UFC fan, you heard that Conor McGregor fought yesterday. He, uh, <laughs> yes. he lost. <laughs> to uh, Dustin the Diamond Poirier, which is one of the best nicknames, by the way, in MMA. Dustin Diamond, Saved by the Belt. Anyway, so he, he lost, and it's in the lightweight division. And so Dana White comes on and says, I, you know, I talked to Khabib, who's the lightweight champion, and he basically said, listen, I beat all these guys, I'm on a whole nother level. So it doesn't seem like Khabib's going to come back and fight, but Khabib is still the UFC lightweight champion. And so people were complaining, like, Khabib's holding up the division because he's holding on to the belt, but says he doesn't want to fight. No, Khabib told y'all he was retired after his his last fight he said after he beat Justin Gaethje I'm not fighting anymore my dad died of COVID I don't even want to fight anymore (laughs) it's it's Dana White who wants to bring I, him back because he's a moneymaker. I like, vaguely
1: it's, remember, I think it was a gold star detention or what, but you handed him that one back when that happened.
3: You're damn right I did. So <laughs> so anyone who's like blaming Khabib, it's not Khabib's fault. This is the UFC's fault. This is Dana White's fault. He's holding up the division because he wants to bring Khabib back because Khabib is a moneymaker. But here's the reason, Khabib don't need a belt to make the money. Take the belt off Khabib, give the belt to somebody else. Maybe that person goes on a little run and now Khabib feels like, oh, I'll come back and beat this guy and then 15. Miss Lady, i will call out everybody else in the back because that's how khabib do it um so detention for you people second detention if you don't know who alessandro florenzi is he's is a five foot eight inch defender for roma in syria-a <laughs> men's soccer <laughs> and that hype matters because check it out go on social media Cristiano Ronaldo. Florenzi is talking smack to Cristiano Ronaldo, who happens to be six foot two, who's one of the most famous athletes in the world. And let me just say, Cristiano Ronaldo—he's Portuguese, so that's his native language. Florenzi is a native Italian, but they both play Italy, so they're probably both speaking in Italian. So if you don't know Italian, you don't know what they're saying, but just watch the gestures, because let me just say, Ronaldo hits him with the too little, and that translates in any language. (laughs) (laughs) And that smack talk is incredible. So detention to Florenzi, don't go at the king, man. If you go at the king, you best not miss. My final detention (laughs) goes to Kyrie Irving. I think this might lead into some conversation with you, Mr. Ainsworth. I'm detentioning Kyrie Irving because of his response when he comes back to play for the Brooklyn Nets. he He's missed all this time. The media, I felt like, were asking him reasonable questions. And he was being his most unreasonable self. And for me, it just speaks to a level of immaturity that Kyrie continues to demonstrate. And he has no self-awareness to understand that in these situations, he's the one demonstrating The immaturity. Your job is to talk to media because that's how you get publicity in this league. And he is the dude who will say, oh, I don't want all that attention while wearing the Uncle Drew hat from his movie. That's who Kyrie is, right? So when the media is asking him reasonable questions about, hey, are you going to have to deal with the NBA protocols because you broke quarantine? Hey, have you talked to your teammates? Hey, have you reached out to your coaches? And he's got this look on his face, like this is the last place he wants to be. And he's got his head down in the video chat and stuff. Like, grow up. That's all I have to say
1: he looked like he was about to sleep i think he's fascinatingly interesting because there are times where he does things like buy george floyd's family a house or like say like hey maybe playing basketball is too big a distraction from the world's issues right now and you're like huh that's not awful like that's there's some <laughs> logic there and then he does things like this where it's like dude drink a cup of
3: coffee and do the dang interview like Listen, <laughs> you can this? be you can be a good person and be an immature person like you it, it's not I, diametrically opposed you can be no bold. and i think he's very much
1: embodying that he is a fun basketball player to watch too so uh, interestingly enough i I'm diving into detentions with some immaturity as well out of a guy i don't think i've ever seen immaturity from in coach k so coach k over the weekend if you saw <laughs> duke is not having a very duke like season and i think that's the nicest way i can put it right like duke, is, <laughs> duke is not like duke is a powerhouse in basketball entirely because of what coach k has built there and so i don't mean to diminish that at all but they are not very good this year a clear student reporter like you can hear it in the kids voice as he's asking the question ask coach k what about lessons they can take to go into the next game or some bland cliche i'm a student reporter type question right like like very clearly like a kid on the job right and he said son what kind of ma- what major are you and the kid says he's an econ major <laughs> and coach k responds with well that'd be like asking after one of your biggest hardest econ tests what did you learn for the next test? It just happened. That's not the best time for... Like, I try to correct the kid. Like, the kid asked a very logical question. <laughs> so much so that it was cliche. And he's, cl- he's a 20-year-old kid. So you knew he was a kid because you asked him what major he was in. That's not okay, man. That's and, and a kid me, trying to learn.
3: And let me just jump in by saying, as two teachers, you know what? It actually is okay to ask that lesson after you just had a big test. <laughs> especially if you bombed it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Completely.
1: And Duke is bombing it. So, I think that's very fair. tension to Coach K. You're better than that, man. He's uh, not. My- but, anyway, I got <laughs> okay. (laughs) There's Big Blue Nation saying he's not. Um, My second of a handful of detentions goes to Warriors Twitter, who decided on Saturday night that they were (laughs) done with Steve Kerr, which is hilarious. We are less than 18 months removed from them going to five straight championships. We are less than 18 months removed from them winning three of those five championships and from them telling everyone how it's not just that they got Kevin Durant. It's not that they just found some way to have all these MVPs on one team, that really it's a great team and organization. And look at what Lake of has built, and look at what Steve Kerr does, and da da da. And now they're ready to dump him because of some <laughs> things like rotations. Like, sh- shut up, Warriors Twitter. I've gotten blocked for like five or six people, and including like prominent accounts like Warriors World, and I don't care. <laughs> You're all dumb. You got lucky in signing the only MVP level candidate in a cap spike year. Like, it, that's just the way things shake out. So, detention, Warriors Twitter, for the heel turn, just because it doesn't fit what you wanted to think about stuff in this season. Like, they weren't going to be very good this season with Clay hurt. That's just the way it was going to be from the start
3: hey listen this is just like bbn and we want to get rid of john Calapari. like we forgot billy gillespie y'all crazy <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: remember the losing the first round with mark jackson days like it's not, not good my next attention goes to lavar ball so lavar ball i guess you could argue was like there's parts of him that are really positive and admirable like he is to a fault, defensive of his kids and is always supporting his kids and this, then and the other thing and da-da-da. There's also this weird Puppet Master thing going on with him that I would argue is very not positive and so like the weird back and forth, the yin and yang of that is, is interesting to watch from afar. I'm not sure it'd be interesting to watch if you're one of his kids. I also don't think if I were one of his kids, I'd want my dad in LeVar going on social media and blasting my ownership like <laughs> Michael Jordan talking about how I'm not a role player. Even if we privately talk about that or whatever, I don't need him Calling out my boss <laughs> telling them how, how, how they're not using me correctly. And so detention of LeVar ball. I think while Lamello is a young person, he's only 18, 19 years old, he's a rookie in his first season. He's like ten games in. You gotta let he and the Hornets figure it out. That ain't right to do. Especially if it you know, as, as unprompted and unprovoked as it is. I get that this is LeVar being LeVar, but that ain't right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> my
1: my last quick detention goes to Twitter as a whole. That means at you, Jack, for Unverifying BAM out of bio. Oh, wow. (laughs) Um, I didn't hear about that one. Okay. This literally came up in my timeline in the last, like, 15 minutes, maybe, we might have already been recording honestly, but Pam on a bio's account was unverified, and Twitch, he he tweeted at verified, can I get my check back, with a depressed looking emoji, how are you gonna unverify Bam on a bio, it says in the Twitter handle at bam one of one, there's only one guy
3: you know what's so funny about that, like when he tweets, can I get my check back, like seriously, he probably has ads that he puts out on Twitter, like that's this double entendre there, you know what I mean Um completely Um, we're gonna, we are got a great episode. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, basketball players, current basketball players versus past basketball players, and whether current basketball players are too soft. We're going to talk about Matthew Stafford, big news that he's going to be leaving Detroit. Where does it make sense for him to go? And then we're going to wrap talking about them Dior Jordans because that's the only way to wrap. So <laughs> without further ado, Mr. Ainsworth, are you ready to go, sir?
1: Ready when you are, Shaka.
3: Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, we start with a thesis statement. Comparing current NBA players to Hall of Fame legends. Little bit of controversy this week. Our thesis statement reads, Quotes from current stars like LeBron James and Kevin Durant about old stars like Shaq and Chuck are evidence that the current generation is soft. How do you grade that one, Mr. Ainsworth?
1: We'll get into like the nitty gritty of the quotes in a second. Um i'm gonna sit here with like a d plus on that it's not that i don't think there are no soft stars in the nba now but i think that's a really really blanket statement what do you think mr cummings
3: i'm gonna go c and i think we're gonna agree on the pieces that brought you to your d plus i do think that there might be some validity to consider though Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, I was willing to call Kevin Durant and LeBron James soft. I feel like you weren't, <laughs> which is okay. Quotes from current stars like LeBron James and Kevin Durant about old stars like Shaq and Chuck are evidence that the current generation is soft. It's funny, because when you say old stars, I think like Beetlejuice and like, <laughs> like you know what I'm saying? I'm thinking like, uh, yeah. like actual stars. Anyway, Mr. Ainsworth, you went D+. Talk to me about that.
1: Well, so... The quotes themselves aren't actually that inflammatory, or at least I didn't think they're that inflammatory, but they are directly pointed at Shaq and Chuck. So after some comments they've made on TNT's NBA show, LeBron James said there's a difference between constructive criticism and soft hating. I've seen it both ways come my way, but mostly the hate. You can hear it in their delivery. And then Durant said, I don't know why they will ask for this idiot's opinion when talking about Charles Barkley, which is funny because I'm sure Charles will have his own response. (laughs) That's terrible. That's terrible. (laughs) Terrible Terrible opinion. Now, um, I guess my bigger thing is that I look at this as like a modern issue of access. Like we get to hear and see a lot of what these players think that we maybe didn't in the past, and I don't know that I necessarily... Like, like, if I look at... Points per game is probably not a great way to, like, list, list stars in order, but certainly if you are a guy that's getting a bunch of points per game, you're qualified as a star, right? And so, like, while Bradley Beal leads the league in points, he may not be the league's brightest star. But if I look at the top 10 points per game, I've got Beal, Durant, Lillard, Curry, Embiid, Giannis, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Zach Levine, Luka Doncic. And I see that list and see a couple things. One, the Celtics have two, and that's crazy. That is crazy. Second, the second thing I'll look at that list and be like, is that's a lot of young guys for the most part. Like guys under 28 years old. And I wouldn't define Bradley Beal or Dame Lillard or yeah, Giannis Antetokounmpo. I wanted to find any of these guys as soft. Uh, I love I think- how
3: you selected. You self-selected them because you didn't say Luka Doncic. You think he's soft? I'm just curious. I don't
1: I don't have a big enough sample size. I also think there's part of this <laughs> thing with like international European guys. Like Giannis is very open and his accent's fun and whatnot. Like, there's a lot of international European guys like Luca or even uh, Jokic is twelve that are just like very quiet publicly here in the States, you know, for better or for worse. I think the interesting thing though is that a lot with all of these stars that are under thirty, I guess Durant is just over thirty and LeBron James is an old band. But if you look at all these stars, they have so much, we have so much access, and they have so many chances to get us their opinions that is interesting. The Durant in particular with the burner thing, I think, is a valid point. Like, why is he diving in with burner accounts and those kinds of things? I generally tend to think of people that do that as hiding for whatever reason. And then I would think that LeBron James feels like he's earned some level of stardom and some level of whatever it, as a 36 year old guy that's dominated the league. and. Frankly, been on. He was like on the cover of Sports Illustrated twenty years ago. You know, he 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 feels like he may have earned this. I also though look at like older generations of stars and are like, man, no one was constantly bugging you on Twitter about how poorly you played that <laughs> night. And so like when I think about like back like Clyde Drexler, like until he joined the Rockets, how mad do you think Clyde Drexler would have got it on Twitter for not winning enough, right? Like if you go back and look at those stars in previous generations, like. Charles Barkley never won a title. Can you imagine if Charles Barkley was walking around in the same kind of hate like a James Harden does on Twitter for not winning? Like, oh da 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 da, you got an MVP, but you're not clutch because you want. Like, I think that they would actually have as competitive athletes, and I assume there's there's some ego in basketball at some base level. I'm as a basketball player saying I don't care that you're in front of me. I'm scoring this basketball right now. Like, there's some ego there, right? I feel like old stars would have had a similar level of response. For the most part, again, there are are extraneous circumstances like the Burner accounts, but for the most part, I think stars would have had similar reactions. If anything else, look at how much of the Last Dance, we all love the Last Dance documentary, but Jordan had a (laughs) huge hand. Right, he had a huge hand, though, in how that was created, right? He was a producer in it, and it all had to get run by him, even if he says, like... I didn't veto very much content. Like, it was it was very organic. He did have a hand in all that came across. And even in that, he comes off as like this guy who took everything personally, like Literally. you're saying. <laughs> um, and so I guess my thought is that we just have so much more access now than we used to.
3: No, absolutely. What I will say is that there's a couple of things that you mentioned in there. And I'm like, if you're saying LeBron James is an old man, like, I'm four years older than him. You're, you're... a <laughs> Um And then the other thing that came off to me is you were like, uh, how would Charles Barkley have responded to the criticism on Twitter? And it's like obvious he would have threw people through glass windows because he did that without Twitter. So, <laughs>
1: well, uh, but, but then would we have called it soft, right? Would we have oh, said if I he, dare if, you to
3: call Charles Barkley soft when he would have threw but you if through glass because <laughs> he did physically do that? You're correct, but uh, if he went
1: through Twitter and just responded to everyone in the way that like Dame Lillard does, would we have called him soft? No, I'm also not calling Dame Lillard soft. Like, <laughs> no, that's, that's, fair. The, that's the equivalent to me.
3: No, absolutely. I, I do think that what might be getting the slide here is the constant uh, criticism that athletes in the 80s and 90s received over sports talk radio, which was the equivalent of what social media is today. Now, the difference with sports talk radio and social media, the obvious difference, is that you have greater access even with social media because any idiot can do a podcast, right. for instance. Um, but also, <laughs> they can put <laughs> their... Too. Absolutely. Um, and <laughs> so you can put your opinions out there on Twitter, and it doesn't matter that you are not someone who's kind of professionally being paid to do that, right? With Sports Talk Radio, that was the call-in segment, right? Now, it was hosted right. by someone who you could readily identify with, and I do think that there were times where athletes readily identified that person, who hosted the sports talk radio as being the jerk versus, you know, Shaka from Mount Vernon who called in and said that John Starks has to stop shooting in game seven against Houston. I'm still bitter. (laughs) Um, Right. So, so it just, it was different, but they did have that element of criticism and they did not have the outlet to be able to respond back. Now, maybe you could say that, you know, someone like a Rashad or Inside Stuff who was like interviewing these guys, like maybe that was some semblance of an opportunity to be able to reply back. But that's that didn't feel like what the tenor of those shows were. I guess I'm, I'm taking a little bit issue with that piece. But that being said, I went see. So obviously, I agree with a lot of things that you said, right? Like I don't look at Dame Lillard and think that he's soft. Dame Lillard could play in any era, including against the Knicks when hand checking was really how we play defense, right? Like there's right. there's guys who were tough enough that they could have played in any era. And so I agree with those pieces, and that's what makes me think that this thing is an F. The thing that makes me want to jump to the A, and these are pieces uh for consideration for anyone who kind of disagrees. When I look at the stars like Shaq, like Chuck, right, I do want folks to remember that their job is to give their opinions, right? And they are brought into the media to do this. And the reason why those folks in in particular, have gotten as much accolades as they've received is because they're willing to be honest. And so, if we want to say that their honesty is too harsh, it feels like you're trying to limit them in a way that doesn't really feel fair. Like, listen, if I'm Shaq I don't go at Donovan Mitchell with the question of, hey, I don't, I listen, I don't think that you can raise your game to become elite. How do you feel about that? Like, I'm not gonna throw that at him after they just won a game in Utah. And, and he played great in that win. And I'm also not Shaq. No one's paying me to do that. They chose Shaq because Shaq will do that. They chose Barkley because Barkley is outspoken, right? And so if that's the character trait that they bring to the table, I don't want to stifle that. And so that's something to consider. I will also say that it is worth considering that because these stars have that vehicle of social media that we are getting to see them become a little bit more vulnerable. And as they share their vulnerabilities with us, it is understandable at least how you can compare them to athletes of yesteryear who didn't have those vehicles and say, oh, I'm seeing a lot more of the vulnerability and emotion and people, whether I agree with it or not, label present day athletes as soft because they share their vulnerabilities, right? There's something to be said for Kevin Durant burner account. Listen, And this is my opinion. That's a soft move. Now, when you want to call Kevin Durant soft for leaving Oklahoma City to go to Golden State and then leaving Golden State to go to Brooklyn, there's a fine line between soft and player empowerment. And it doesn't feel like someone like Charles Barkley can criticize because Barkley left Philly to go to Phoenix and then left Phoenix to go to Houston, right? And it doesn't feel like Shaq can criticize when Shaq left Orlando to go to LA, then left LA to go to Miami, then left Miami to go to Boston to Cleveland to Phoenix. I believe in that order. Um, so, yeah. So it feels like some of the pieces where these guys get dinged for being soft. It's like, I'm, I'm not sure that it feels entirely fair. Right. And well, so all of that to consider. Right. Just throwing that out. It's interesting
1: there. with these two guys. So you mentioned they're like natural travels. And so how like Shaq and Charles criticizing guys for leaving teams is interesting because. Amino Hassan's does some great work talking to the Lebtar crew about the Phoenix years with Shaq and how like Shaq was not necessarily like, he knew he was tra- he was a traveling you know, like, salesman is the wrong word at that point, but he was like this traveling... He was like, a journeyman. He was gonna, he's a yeah, journeyman was, at that he's point. He's going to come in and sell jerseys and he's going to come in and not be the best player on your team and those kind of things and how like that was tough for him and this, that, and the other, whereas like Durant and LeBron and these guys are leaving to find titles. And that's a, that's a very different thing. I also think it's interesting that these two guys have done it because they criticize this generation for the way they play at times Too, right? Because Shaq wants big men to get their back to the basket and Chuck wants people to stop shooting so many jump shots and those kind of things. What's fascinating to me is as I look at those two guys as young players, right? If I look at young Shaq and Phoenix Charles or like younger guys, those two guys actually would the younger version themselves play super well in today's game, right? Like, young Shaq Absolutely. as a running big today would still be dominant, and young Charles as the point forward would still be dominant, and, and I think it's interesting that people, they criticize today's game because it looks so different, and they assume that the jump shot and the guys that can't put their back to the basket or whatever are soft, when the truth is, they might have even had an elevated role in today's game, like, Ch- Chuck is the precursor to a guy like a Draymond 20 years later, right? Like Those things aren't accidents, and To see if Draymond can do what Draymond does, how good would Charles Barkley have been with a guy like Kerr that can give him that much free will, right? And if... If you think Dwight Howard was good in the pick and roll kind of you know lobs in dread, <laughs> or DeAndre Jordan like oh my God Shaq running the break throwing off the glass to himself what's coming down the lane like like, Absolutely. like if you think the deal where Giannis takes the ball at half court and takes four dribbles one spin move gets the basket is scary imagine that with the guy who's played basketball since he was three right like dude, <laughs> dude, if you see Jokic
3: for pass you should have seen Shaq you know what I'm saying right. Shaq and in so the post was crazy
1: that I think that it's interesting that they call this generation soft on the floor as well insinuate I guess I should say they say things like you can't win shooting jump shots, old school basketball was never about this, this, that, and the other. Like, you got to put your back to the basket as a big guy. Insinuating that this group is soft, the current generation is soft, when they would have been even better today. Incidentally,
3: old Charles was this... Old Charles had a jumper. Old Charles hit threes. You know what I mean? He would fit in this era. Completely. When I think about... These two players in particular, Mr. Ainsworth, LeBron and Kevin Durant, is there a part of this conversation that really just gets elevated because it's those guys in particular who are responding? So, for instance, we did our thesis statement, and I do feel like big publicity is Durant and LeBron. But we didn't talk a ton about Donovan Mitchell. That happened this week, too, right? And it felt like that almost got swept under the rug. And then, you know, I'll criticize Kyrie as much as anyone. You see kind of the way he came back. Maybe does it feel like some of these other guys get a pass where Kevin Durant and LeBron James in particular do not? Because in my mind, I, I think that that's a part of the reason why... Maybe folks have the perception that they do. Those guys have such an elevated platform as, what, two of the three? Like, it's arguable to, that they're two of the three best players. I don't think that it is, right? Is it, right? is it because of their elevated platform and their elevated status and their Hall of Fame guys? They have the MVPs. Like, does that bring something to this conversation?
1: Well it certainly didn't We didn't talk about the conversation When Shaq was criticizing Rudy Gobert And as much as I enjoy criticizing Rudy Gobert
2: <laughs> Shaq went really
1: hard on him As a fellow big man Which is interesting right I think that there is part of this too That when LeBron James says it Or Kevin Durant says it Maybe Kevin Durant to a lesser extent LeBron James has earned being the face of the league He has been out front of the face of the league In numerous ways He is the You could argue he is the face of the player empowerment movement With things like the decision He's the face of the small ball movement When he switched to the power forward position in Miami in year two. Like, you could argue he is the face of lots of different aspects of the game of basketball and that when he comes out and says it it carries more weight than when Rudy Gobert comes out and says it, even though Gobert is a, you know, defensive player here, the many times, right? It's also interesting to say that, like, part of that comes in longevity. LeBron James is closer to, like, he played against Shaq and played with Shaq, right? Like, he's closer yeah, to those guys in age than a guy like Giannis or than a guy, like Donovan Mitchell, like the other guys. Those guys are kids compared to LeBron being the kid for Shaq, right? And so I think that there is something there that maybe Durant doesn't have, although I would argue that when Durant came into the league right away, was a star, a rookie of the year, bunch of points, da da for Seattle that year. I think that it's worth pointing out that the league took notice of Kevin Durant right away. So while it might have been young at the time, they all would have known who he was i i think that there's an age element there too whereas like even if a star like a jason tatum who's younger like tatum's just 22 right so if tatum came out and said it it might not carry the same weight not because tatum's not good enough but because he just hadn't been around very long
3: yeah his platform is just different than lebron and kd right and i i definitely think that that's an element i you know i also go back this is hopefully this is all gonna make sense as it comes out disjointed on a sunday afternoon but um yeah i go back to the time where Oscar Robertson you know he was asked about jump shooters and Steph Curry and this is years back when Steph is winning his MVPs and Golden State is making the championship run and Oscar Robertson talks about like he played with three or four different guys who could shoot but the game just wasn't like that as if he played with three or four guys who could shoot as well as Steph Curry like what no no one in the history of our planet shoots as well as Steph Curry he's the greatest shooter ever right but you go back to guys who played in previous eras and they just identify star quality and characteristics in different ways, maybe, than present-day athletes do. So, for instance, um, you know, Isaiah Thomas and the Bad Boy Pistons, we love that, that toughness, that grit. They represented Detroit. Uh, even Michael Jordan, when you look at what was left in for the documentary, <laughs> right, you see he still has that in him, like, you know, I, I'll still go and light you up for 20 right now if you talk too much, youngin. You know what I mean? Like, he still has that. He takes everything personally still. And with LeBron, KD, it never felt maybe that way in the way that they played on the floor. And so maybe when we look at how they talk about their response to things off the floor, like, we're not cool with that element of I mean. For, for many people, KD is still the guy who said, Mom, you're the real MVP. So if he wants to be tough, then there are people who might perceive that part of him and say, well, that guy can't be tough, which, again, I, I think is problematic, as if those two things can't exist. Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is, James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement?
1: Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beers. between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis?
3: So, I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has, so maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden, but...
1: FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your bombs, or shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy.
3: Absolutely. Check out the Beard Struggle at the beardstruggle.com whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already. The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle feast your face.
1: All right, Mr. Cummings, this week's football thesis looks at some stuff happening off the gridiron that could really impact it next year. It sounds like Matthew Stafford and the Detroit Lions are parting ways, and so this thesis reads, The New England Patriots are the team that makes the most sense for Matthew Stafford next season. You hear that, and you think...
3: I think Dan Campbell's going to bite his kneecap off, but um, (laughs) uh, this is a C grade to me. What do you think, Mr. Ainsworth?
1: You know, for a lot of the same reasons, I'm sure, I'm in the B range. I'll give it a B just to be different, but I, I, I think we have a lot of the same reasons, I'm sure. All right, Mr. Cummings, so it sounds like you're a little bit lower than I am on this thesis, and you don't think that New England Patriots are necessarily the best place for Matthew Stafford And end up. Gave it a C, so what's your reasoning there?
3: Absolutely. Let's talk about the inspiration for this article, which was not the crazy press conference from Dan Campbell. I, I wish him all the best, but come on, the WWE stuff, man, them guys are pros. They're not feeling that. Anyway, <laughs> S.I. put out an article uh, referencing Matthew Stafford and the Detroit Lions coming to a common agreement in, based on all the reporting, that it's time for Matthew Stafford to move on. Detroit wants a new quarterback. Matthew Stafford wants an opportunity at a Super Bowl. Feels like it's not going to be in Detroit in the next few years. And again, Dan Campbell's press conference might have something to do with that. That being said, Matthew Stafford is a 32-year-old quarterback. And here's a stat that I read yesterday, Mr. Ainsworth, that was stunning to me. There were two quarterbacks in NFL history <laughs> who have thrown for over 45,000 yards and thrown under 150 interceptions. And those two guys are Aaron Rodgers and Matthew Stafford. Like, that's it. That's the list. So, just because maybe we haven't seen him in Detroit doesn't mean that he's not great. So, SI put out a list and they talked about places where it might make sense for Matthew Stafford to end up next year. And the New England Patriots were on this list. Now, I imagine we'll go through a lot of the teams on this list, Mr. Ainsworth. But New England, in particular, is a team that we've talked about in the past, specifically around Cam Newton. And based on what I saw from New England this year, I don't think that you can just take Matthew Stafford, insert him, and all of a sudden, everything's golden, right? New England still has issues. New England... Their receiving core is not good. And maybe Cam Newton's lack of accuracy was a part of that. I I think that it's a combination of deals there. Cam Newton's not the most accurate quarterback. These receivers aren't that talented. And then you saw the New England offense this year, which was not very good. And frankly, the running game... Had to be featured prominently because the running backs were okay and Cam Newton can still do that, right? He can still take off on you. And so when I look at New England and the talent that's there, I'm like, I don't know if I'm Matthew Stafford, I want to end up there. And the part for me that makes me think this could work is still Bill Belichick, man. I still have faith and belief, even after this year, even after them not making the playoffs, now that Brady is gone, even after all the stuff that I've said, Where I'm a big Brady believer, obviously, because I basically believed that he was going to do everything he's doing in Tampa right now. Even with all that, I'm not saying that Belichick is not like the greatest coach ever. He is the greatest coach ever. And if you give him a, a competent quarterback, I think that he can put in place a structure that allows that quarterback to shine. And I do think that he's still... A solid player, personnel guy, and New England has shown that they have the ability to be able to bring in the parts and pieces. Now they're going to need offensive line help. They're going to need receiver help. But if you bring in Stafford, at least you don't need the quarterback help. So A reasons, F reasons, settled at a C. Now you're a little higher, so I'm curious. Talk to me about where you maybe have some subtle disagreements. Well, you brought
1: up the one of the same stats I was going to bring up and comparing Matthew Stafford to Aaron Rodgers. I think it's also worth pointing out that Stafford. Is I believe almost, yeah, almost 33. And Aaron Rodgers just turned 37, so they're comparable in like career-long stats. is is really impressive and a testament to Matt Stafford, right? I mean, I know Rodgers missed some games here and there, hurt, but that's really impressive to me about Matthew Stafford. I'd also point out that like New England would be on a short list of teams I think gets better with him at quarterback next year and has and has a real shot to win, right? I assume at this point in his career, he's got a lot of individual stats and awards, and I think that Stafford want to win. I could be wrong in that. Maybe he wants to take a big paycheck, in which case New England's not the team to do that. And <laughs> that's fine too uh it seems like houston will pay quarterbacks that aren't going to stick around very long so maybe he goes there but what i I will say is that if i look at and i know he had all the time with megatron in the past and so that helps his numbers out a lot but if i look at his numbers from this year in particular like marvin jones is a fun receiver he's 30 years old and that was the leading guy he had in yards this year you know amandola played 14 games i don't know if new england thought he was Good enough to easy, easy enough to let go of. He's 35. Like, there weren't a whole lot of serious receiving threats in in Detroit right he had DeAndre Swift as his fourth leading receiver and that's his running back out no, of the I backfield mean, I would say
3: Hawkinson the, the tight end out of the Iowa end. right is probably his best receiving threat in my opinion
1: right no and I'd agree I think statistically bearing out he had the second most yards and the was this second most touchdowns if I do it by that yeah second most touchdowns as well again but that's one young guy he's got an old receiver an older receiver and a running back as his other three pass catchers and I would imagine that you know, you talk about New England doesn't have anything. They could at least put that around him. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's not, a, that's not a lot, right? And so I would imagine that he could at least get to there. I also think that there's this element of, so we both liked Cam to. New England, because we thought that they would morph their offense more than they ended up doing, and they didn't necessarily change it as much as I would have thought they would in bringing in Cam Newton. I also think New England is in a competitive division. So one of the things that pulled me down on New England was that they're going to have to beat Buffalo, potentially Miami. Like, how are they going to how are they going to come out of that? Don't division? forget the
3: Deshaun Watson led New York Jets. That's a Disney <laughs> partner by the way. <laughs>
1: well, it could be the Deshaun Watson led Miami Dolphins. So, hey. you know, <laughs> but what I what I'm really getting at here is that like I think that that's a great fit but I give it a B because that'd be tough to come out of the division and win games there but I, I did give it a B because I think it is a good fit and Belichick like you're saying is as good a coach to do that with McDaniels and the OC like that, that's a good staff to continue to build on I think that there's some other teams we're mentioning here though I think If Drew Brees is really done, you know, New Orleans could be an interesting home.
3: That would be hella interesting.
1: Because he can sling it around and they've got some targets. Right. Well, it would also
3: be interesting because basically what they would be saying is buy Jameis, buy Taysom Hill, right? Because at, at some point. If you're going to keep Taysom Hill, you got to play him. I feel like you can let Jameis go, and that wouldn't be that big a deal. But that would be interesting.
1: Well, and I think the deal there, too, is that they made their decision on Taysom and Jameis when they decided not to play Jameis when Drew was hurt. Which, if I'm Jameis Winston and I'm really trying to get a shot to start somewhere, I pull up that clip of being the only guy that can complete the ball for more than 20 yards in the playoff game. <laughs> and I, se- I send that everywhere, and I'm fine to find the next place to go because I need. To, if I'm Jameis I need to get somewhere I can play, that's neither here nor there. I think another team that's interesting, though, would be San Fran, right? So. The- Hella- Interesting. Say what you want about Garoppolo, but he has not slung it around as much as Matt Stafford has. He certainly won more games in like like percentage of starts or whatever you want to do. But he is not slung around the same way. You give him a guy like a healthy kittle. Like all of a sudden that team could be really interesting. You also have Shanahan on the offense. Like things could start shaping more in Matt Stafford's way there. The other and so, piece to
3: consider with San Francisco is availability too. Like I know that Matthew Staffords has some shoulder stuff, but he always shows up to play. Oh. And Jimmy Garoppolo, man, he's missed some games and and I don't know. Maybe that's maybe Jimmy needs to go to New England, right? That could be interesting too.
1: Yeah. And so I guess You know, you have Denver, Pittsburgh moving on from Ben, those kind of things. And then there's also, all of these teams are circulating. There's also, apparently, the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. And so I'd imagine, because he's younger, that Deshaun Watson lands before... Matthew Stafford lands, because if you think you're a quarterback away, I mean, that seems like very broad, but a lot of teams are looking for a good upgrade at quarterback. I imagine you go for the 25-year-old Watson before looking for the 32-year-old Stafford. I could be wrong there, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. This is a long-winded way to say that I landed at a B because I see positives in New England with Belichick and with that offense and with you know the, the history they've got of being well-coached and well-run teams and bring in a guy like Stafford that can sling it around. I just think that there might be options that are just as strong if not stronger and I also look at New England and say you know regardless of who's playing quarterback next year are they really going to win that division and if not how are they going to you know how are they going to make the playoffs what wild card spot are they going to fit into and those
3: things no absolutely incidentally like I mean and you just pointed out at the end there right they don't have to win the division all they have to do is get in again Eli Man has got two rings just getting in and so right, we, right and New England knows all about that in particular what's interesting there as well Mr. Ainsworth that you kind of mentioned at the end was you believe that that Deshaun Watson will be settled first before Matthew Stafford which intuitively does make sense right it feels like there's going to be a lot of teams that if they don't get Watson then they're going to want to go get Stafford and so let's let Watson settle first I'm of the mindset that the Deshaun Watson trade is actually more complex than the Matthew Stafford trade and so I would not be surprised to see Matthew Stafford settled this week for instance because There's just certain teams that they recognize we're not in the Deshaun Watson race. It's going to take too much to go get that dude. So, for instance, a team like New England, it's going to take too much. A team like the Indianapolis Colts. It's going to take too much. But those teams could say, hey, we could probably get Matthew Stafford now. Like, we can figure out the package that's going to take to get him. With Deshaun Watson, feels like it's just going to be a little more complicated. So it's interesting because I think it could end up being the other way around. Like, I almost feel like the reason why this Matthew Stafford news gets leaked by Detroit, is we want to do this now. Then we know what we're going to do in terms of the draft because we might want to try to go up and go get Trevor Lawrence or go up and go get Zach Wilson or go up and go get the kid from Ohio State, right? And so they are going to need the draft picks to be able to make the moves up. And, and so let's make this happen as soon as possible, right? And then we know what capital we have. So I do think that that's interesting. I, let's go to the teams, though, because this SI article talks about a lot of them. You mentioned New Orleans. I think that's interesting. You mentioned San Francisco. I think that's interesting. We, this thesis is obviously about New England. Indianapolis, to me, is the most interesting because Indianapolis's defense is incredible. People can parse Philip Rivers' season this year. I I actually am one of these people. I think that Phillip Rivers has been overrated his entire career. And I don't think that he had necessarily this great, incredible season that people seem to want to think that he had in hindsight. I think that Matthew Stafford could go in and do at least what Phillip Rivers did this year. And he's a little bit younger. Maybe Frank Wright could look at him and do some things that are a little more... Uh, 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 innovative and, oh, by the way, he's going to have better weapons in Indianapolis in terms of the receiving core and the running back core. I think that that could be hella interesting to put him in indianapolis with that defense and now they got a real quarterback
1: i also would point out with indianapolis that they're not going to get deshaun watson because even if that unless like deshaun watson may say i want to go there i don't know what he's listing off as things he wants to do but because he has no trade clause he gets a say on what he does in houston houston will not trade him in division right and so they're not gonna they're not gonna play him twice a year for potentially the next 10 years (laughs) they're going to send him somewhere farther away I'm not saying they're sending him out of the AFC I'm not saying they have to send him to the NFC or whatever but they're not gonna play him twice a year and so Indianapolis may think that they have a shot at Stafford over and not Watson and so maybe it would pull the trigger this week like you're saying just because they're not focused on Watson at all
3: absolutely another team that I think could be interesting uh, based on this article, the Washington football team, the fact that they won their division this year with as much turmoil at that quarterback well, position, won that's their division
1: as in Won their division as didn't lose it. Well, <laughs> <'Cause> lots <laughs> of people are trying to lose it. Well, listen, that division
3: <laughs> is so bad. I mean, we could all agree on that. That division is so bad that if all of a sudden you add a Matthew Stafford to right. that team, because that front seven is incredible in Washington, and they do have receiving weapons, Like, there's enough there that if you bring in a Matthew Stafford and now you have stability at that quarterback position, maybe that makes some sense, right? And uh, Alex Smith, incredible story. There's still question marks about how long he can do this, right? How long will that leg even hold up? How long does he even want to do it? Like, maybe all he wanted to do was come back and prove that he could, and now he's done that, and maybe he rides off into the sunset. We don't know. We do know that they got rid of Dwayne Haskins, so we know that – the young guy who's kind of behind him is gone. Taylor Heineke wasn't signed to some sort of a deal that says he's definitely coming back to Washington next year. Like, that one game might have got him an opportunity to go try out somewhere else as well. So, all of those pieces to consider, I think, could be interesting. And I think that those uh, couple of teams uh, would be interesting. I, incidentally, as a Jet fan, I do not want to see them go get Matthew Stafford unless you cannot get Deshaun Watson. Like, if you're the Jets, you have to be focused on Deshaun first and then focus on your draft pick second and then if you think that based on those two elements Matthew Stafford is going to make sense because you want to go somewhere different in the draft like maybe you want to get Panay Isul but you don't want to keep the young kid from USC then that's fine but um as a Jet fan I don't want to go get Matthew Stafford right now Mr. Ainsworth who do you think is the most interesting team like in your opinion is it one of the ones that you mentioned is there someone else who's out there I, I
1: really think it'd be interesting to see him in New Orleans because again I watched New Orleans play and it was evident by the end of the season and it's the second season in a row that Drew Brees struggled with injuries in the middle of the season and this was very evident at the end that he was having trouble pushing the ball down the field as much as you can, you know, dismiss what Detroit has done in the entire time Stafford's been there, and they've run off stars, and they ended Megatron's career early because they were so bad, and they did the same Sanders, <laughs> Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders.
2: <laughs> right?
1: That's all fair. One thing you can't say is he can't throw the ball down the field. Like, <laughs> like he, can, he can put that thing in the end zone from the 50 if he needs to, and that is a threat that New Orleans had the receivers for but did not have the quarterback for. And so I think that is interesting. I also think it's interesting because while it may be hard to win that division year in, year out with Tampa and whatever... I don't think it's an impossible division to make the playoffs out of. I think that's very evident in the fact that they put two teams in this year, right? And that I would assume they'd be fairly similar with Stafford in there for Breeze next year. Not that historically Stafford is on the same, whatever, as Breeze, but that in 2021, Stafford is at least as good as Breeze, right? And so I think that that is a a good move for them. It also opens up more of Sean Payton's creativity. And this might just be that I love Sean Payton and all the things he does with so many different weird oddities and stuff. He stole someone else's trick play and no one saw it coming. like I, um, <laughs> I think it would be interesting to see how he uses Stafford's arm power relative to what he had to do with Breeze. And so i th- uh, that's what I'd want to see, I guess. A team we haven't mentioned that'd be fun and interesting might be for the same kind of reasoning, like an LA Rams, right? If they yeah. want to move on from Jared Goff, because you get McVeigh, a guy with the arm power, and. McVeigh is a fun OC is or a fun offensive mind as well and so those those could be fun too I don't, I don't mean to say that any of those wouldn't be New Orleans just came to mind because we just watched them lose last weekend
3: no absolutely incidentally like the the Rams piece would be tricky because you're gonna eat some salary man because you decide to pay yeah. Jared Goff so that's that would be a curious piece just so many things popped up in my head when you said New Orleans the first thing is that like right now you're right Matthew Stafford is not as historically significant as Drew Brees that being said Matthew Stafford is 32 years old there's nothing to say like if he's on the tom brady plane he's got 10 years left so maybe he could end up being historically as significant the other thing with new orleans that is interesting and this is totally because we're texas high school football coaches that would be austin westlake being replaced by highland park and that's that's, that is so interesting Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, we have to fulfill our sneakerhead quota every so often on this podcast. And so uh, the final thesis statement for this week, the emphasis on the Jordan 1 Dior was the best part of the inauguration. I say that to you, Mr. Ainsworth. How do you grade that thesis statement?
1: <laughs> I'm going to go with a b plus i'm gonna go with a b plus there was a a much more memeable scene but anyway i'm gonna say
3: (laughs) let me say that based on the meme and uh the significance of poetry in this particular inauguration i'm gonna go C. but them Dior's is fire Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, I know that I do not have to convince the man that wore Jordan 11s at his wedding of the significance of <laughs> Jordan 1 Dior's. So uh, the emphasis on the Jordan 1 Dior was the best part of the inauguration. You went B+, plus, so you went really high. Talk to me about why you are so addicted to sneakers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I blame my mother to have a baby picture of myself, actually, like when you had to wear shoes that didn't have soles on them kind of baby picture. And I was in Jordan 6s, 7s, 7s. Um, there you and go. <laughs> the funny, the funny thing there is my mom always said that she accessorized my brother and I with sneakers because that was all you could accessorize with for boys. And so I want her to <laughs> No, um, listen.
3: She had the redheaded baby and she was going to make sure he had flames on his feet too. That's all that was. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but no, if I looked at the sneaker thing, I think it was interesting because it was... So sneakers and suits are culturally a thing that probably doesn't happen in many inaugurations. And I do think that's important. And I think it's important that it was a part of the extended family showing up up and being like authentically themselves watching their relatives become inaugurated like i think that that's important i just also so i gave it a b plus because i think in a normal inauguration where these other things we're going to talk about didn't happen i think that that is an important thing that people are like Changing the way we w- we do formal wear to fit themselves, whether it's me and I'm a junkie with sneakers on, or there's these people wearing like his sneaker, his you know Dior sneakers. Those things cost like more than my car, <laughs> my car that won't start. If, yeah, I guess exactly. Is- <laughs> <laughs> now we know why like- your car won't start, <laughs> <or starting's worth. laughs> Um But I- I'd also go to obviously the Bernie meme took over. Uh, so the Bernie sitting cross legged with his funny looking mittens, <laughs> and I this think is a the fun
3: story behind those mittens, by the way, like that they um, they're actually upcycle from this woman who makes mittens. Out of sweaters that are going to get thrown away So this is an awesome well, story with the mittens too
1: And the story, the picture gets put on The Bernie campaign puts it on sweatshirts and t-shirts And sells it to sell out <laughs> super fast The joke there was that it sold out Like a sneakers drop on the app <laughs> It sold out super fast And the money all went to Meals on Wheels Vermont Like It was, it was a good story And then obviously as two history teachers We were remiss if we didn't mention the poetry
3: No, absolutely So um, before we get to the seriousness of the poetry Let me just say that the Bernie memes are so classic like uh for me right i am looking at memes of him like tapping out people with arm bars i am looking at (laughs) like it is awesome and actually someone in lexington went and they painted the picture of Bernie Sanders on a wall. So it's now one of these like picture walls, which you grew up in Austin, so you know yeah. all about the classic yeah, yeah. picture wall, right? Uh, that being said, Amanda Gorman, who was the poet selected by Joe Biden for this election, or uh, for this inauguration ceremony. 22 years old, African-American woman, incredible poet. Incidentally, Mr. Ainsworth, we both know the assistant head of school At Harvard Westlake in uh, California. (laughs) And she lucked out because apparently they signed up Amanda Gorman to come be a speaker for them before the inauguration. It'd be very difficult to book her now. Um, so (laughs) that, that's incredible how lucky they got. But I mean, just an incredible speech about hope and the fact that America, and this is, I think, something that we talk about as history teachers, like the sentiment that America is not some, it's not complete. We were a grand experiment and we're going to have ups and downs and hiccups and the fact is is that we're not complete as a country now so when we go through these incredibly difficult times and everything feels like oh man it's so tough between events at the capitol and and people being divided politically and what's happening with black people in this country like we're still not complete we still have work to do so let's just approach it from that mindset that we still have work to do keep that growth mindset and that open mindset her words were so powerful and as a 40 year old I'm like man when I was 22 I wasn't there yet so now um
1: (laughs) uh, that that experiment works two ways too you could say the American experiment is less than 250 years old let's continue to play it out and then there's also this idea that like it's less than 250 years old like we need to make sure we continue to work on it yeah absolutely Um, (laughs) it's a two it's a two-edged sword I guess
3: no absolutely when you start thinking about like ancient civilizations we're basically like the teenager stage and no one expects a teenager to be fully ready to go right like when teenagers makes a lot more
1: sense that way there you
3: go I mean when teenagers are stupid we just accept that well we're still kind of (laughs) stupid teenagers just accept it Um, we'll get better we promise those Dior though so here's the thing Mr. Ainsworth is really the Jordan aficionado and maybe the ultimate Jordan aficionado aficionado of anyone who I know personally when I approach shoes I have lots of shoes but what Mr. Ainsworth will tell you is that uh, my shoe collection runs the gamut I've got you know three or four pairs of Jordans but for me you know I pay attention to fashion and I like lines and these sorts of things and so uh the design of the Dior ones for me are in incredible and we probably look at these shoes in, in two different ways i look at the design of those shoes and i'm like those are incredible and will you tell me that they're eight thousand dollars the only thing i'm thinking is man i should have just stuck with the corporate world because i could probably swing the eight thousand dollars versus the teaching world because <laughs> <laughs> those shoes are fire now i know you look at those and you're probably like oh man this is why Jordans is so incredible because they're this palette on which you can do anything and you look at that ice blue soul and it's like oh my god just fire. Um, Mr. Ainsworth, talk to me about your love of the Jordan... One Dior's. Car. I'm sure you had them before inauguration. <laughs> had them
1: before. Uh, I will take a donation. If someone would like to donate <laughs> um, No, I think that the thing that's fascinating me about them is that, so the Jordan one is a very classic sneaker in that it's got the giant swoosh on the side, right? And, and it's obviously the, the first Jordan signature sneaker. It's the so only it's
3: so- Jordan that actually has the Nike has the swoosh, swoosh,
1: right? Right. And so it, it's iconic in that way because it's from the beginning of the Jordan line. They had no idea, and you can go back and watch the last dance documentary. They had no idea they're going to sell like did right so it ends up being the this classic silhouette and it's been transformed in so many different ways, whether it's skateboarders, whether it's hip-hop, whether it's suits, you see it on the red carpets at places, but to see it with a suit at the inauguration, I mean, it was a perfectly matched suit, it was the exact gray, the guy had a white shirt on, had a black and uh, black tie with some silver accenting on it, so like, it all matched together and very well. And let me well. say, like,
3: there was nothing to bring my kids into the inauguration quite like those shoes. Like My kids are like, you know, they, they're drifting off asleep as they're watching the inauguration, then them Jordans come on, they're like, what?! And now they woke up.
1: You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) I think the funny thing to me is that it's not the first Jordan to be worn with a sneaker. And it's certainly not the first Jordan to be designed to be worn with a suit, I should say. It's just it's interesting that because of the Dior brand associated with it, that the vice president uh, Harris's nephew can wear them to the inauguration and it fits in like a suit. Like there's no question that his shoes match what he was wearing and fit the stage.
3: No, absolutely. And what Dior is known for, at least in uh, my this is my perspective. I think that many would agree. Dior brings a level of of innovation to classic silhouette right and so when you tell me that the jordan ones are classic silhouette and dior partnered with them to come up with a new design i'm like absolutely right which is the, i mean when you see the uh dior styling of the logo on the check when you see the color the color choice right the color match of the gray with the black with the white with the ice blue sole it's like everything about this shoe to me screams oh this is dior this is who they are and for their brand to be be so well represented in a way on a sneaker that so perfectly matches what the Jordan brand uh, really invented years back with the Jordan 1s. It's an incredible mix. And you are so correct when you say, these shoes go with a suit. Like, if you try to play ball in them shoes, I might punch you in the throat. Them clean, shoes yeah. should be dressed up. Those shoes should not be casual down. Those shoes are fire. So now, Mr. Ainsworth, this is a great opportunity for us to segue into some great shoe stories. Listen, we love these shoes, right? <laughs> now, there's, there's some other things that come out of the inauguration that we love as well. So that's why great to vary. But Mr. Ainsworth, you talked about an incredible shoe story from this week in relation to Colin Sexton and Kyrie Irving.
1: <laughs> and could you please just reiterate that story for us, my friend? Well... I gave a gold star to Colin Sexton for how well he played on Wednesday. He had 42 points, primarily guarded by Kyrie Irving, in the Kyrie Irving six, (laughs) like in Kyrie (laughs) Irving's signature shoes. He scored 42 points and beat Kyrie Irving. He actually beat him twice this week, but 42 points in the first game. And you know, there's this like weird mythical idea that like dudes that wore Jordans in the 90s would not wear Jordans against the Bulls. Like you just you don't you don't do that, right? Guys that wear Kobe's would not have worn Kobe's against the Lakers for that 20 year span, like. You just don't wear the other guy's signature shoe. The funny thing my brother and I will talk about too is like when you're watching a game and like they like the Lakers right now, a lot of guys on the Lakers will have, like the guys that don't play, will have LeBrons on. Or if you watch the Nets right now, a lot of the guys in the Nets that don't play will have the Durants, the Irvings, the Hardens on, right? If you're watching a team play and they have a star with a signature shoe like Portland and Dame Lillard, a lot of guys in the bench... Have the Dame Lillard's on, and I maintain that's just to keep good favor with the star, and not like <laughs> <laughs> like look, I love the shoes, man, and like that keeps you on the squad for a little bit longer.
3: Like Taylor Horton is like you done right, I'm wearing LeBrons. <laughs> like you're not, you're not cutting. Uh, I'm just imagining now, right? Like you talked about, uh, guys would not go up against Jordan rocking Jordans, and like I'm imagining the new scene in the Last Dance where Michael Jordan talks about, yeah, you know, I went into Madison Square Garden, I was looking at Rolando Blackman, and he, he had on my shoes, and, and I took that personally, and then he <laughs> <laughs> then he drops a double nickel in the garden. Like, that's who he was. You know what I mean? Um, Incidentally, friends, please make sure that you go out. Check out Belly Up. Mr. Ainsworth has an awesome uh post on shoes. And I think that that's going to be something that's going to become a regular segment. So make sure that you go and check that out. You know, uh, what I would love to see, Mr. Ainsworth, is a partnership with some real, like, uh authentic kind of big-name designer making some, like, athletic shoe. Like, I would love to see someone with sign the shoe deal with, like, Christian Louboutin and rock those, <laughs> like, in a game because I think that'd be incredible. I think the spikes, though, might actually be illegal. I think Adam Silver might have a problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> Friends, that is another edition of F in Sports. So, uh, Mr. Ainsworth, before we wrap, since we were talking about sneakers, let me ask you a quick question. Sneakers that are most cherished in your collection.
1: Ooh. The pair that I probably wear the most would be I have some cement, three, some cement black 3s. Obviously, I need to be a good husband to point out that I only have worn the pair of Jordan 11. They're the low top with the blue snakeskin on them. The snakeskin's very faint, but I, I only wore those to my wedding, and I, I keep them very much on ice intentionally. Um, as I look, I'm literally sitting in front of them, so I'm turning around to look at them. Um, <laughs> I really like the Jordan 11 low as a casual sneaker. Um, So I've got several colors of that, and then the threes and the fours. I know you and I are bigger guys, so I think the threes and the fours fit the bigger guy body type, for lack of a better phrase. But (laughs) I'm interested in you because you you've always been you know since we worked together many years ago. I've noticed you've always had great grown man shoes, and by that I mean like the dressy, classic, cash like dressy casual, but like all brown leathers and black leathers and those kinds of things. What's your favorite sneaker you own?
3: So that's that's a great question. I do have a pair of Jordan ones. They are the winterized. Um, uh, blue, they're sky blue and uh, and uh, navy blue. And I, I really like those because I get a lot of attention when I wear them. Um, sneakers, <laughs> like right now, the sneakers, the two ones that are probably my favorite in my collection, I have a pair of John Fluvog, uh, Mark, I believe they're Mark Foz, they're green suede. And they. I always get a lot of compliments when I wear those. And then there's a, a company called Taft that makes a a brown uh, leather sneaker it's a little called taft sneaker um and so it's a high top brown leather and i'm really liking those but i will say my i'll be a good husband as well my wife got me a pair of nike kill shots uh for <laughs> christmas and i'm loving those all white they look great um friends thank you guys for listening oh before we talk about and start wrapping up we have to do our socials so Mister give everyone your <laughs> socials i was about to wrap without that
1: <laughs> yeah, you can find me and talk more about sneakers or you know, what quarterbacks end up where or whatever on Twitter. My at is at Painsworth512. That's at P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H 512. All one word on Twitter and Instagram. We also have a show Twitter that's at F-N-Sports2. That's F-I-N-S-P-O-R-T-S. Number two, all one word. I'll use dash P-A. Shaka's been real active lately. He'll use dash C-C and you can find us together there. And we'll let you know what we think about your theses. Shaka,
3: we got Instagram too. Yeah, and I better remember it. Um, <laughs> We have an Instagram at F underscore N underscore sports. You can find me on social media at Shaka Cummings at C-H-A-K-A-C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S. That is both my Twitter and my Instagram. Friends, thank you guys for listening. Please go out, like, subscribe, share, do all the wonderful things that help out the podcast. And please remember, when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys.